Aloha, and welcome to the Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel Kaneohe. Hope Chapel exists to grow ordinary people into faithful, productive followers of Jesus Christ, equipping them through Bible teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Today, Pastor Ralph brings part two of his message entitled, A Helmet for Your Mind. And now, let's join Pastor Ralph. Romans chapter 8, it says in verse 27 that the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. God who knows hearts knows what the Spirit is saying is the Spirit prays according to the will of God. The Spirit is going to only ask things of God that God wants to do in your life. And as a result of that, here, stop and look at my, my situation. I have a crisis in my life. I don't know what to do. I'm freaking out. I start praying. I begin to just kind of come to the end of my wits. I begin to pray in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is praying things that I don't even understand. God is hearing. God wants to answer those prayers. And that brings us up to this verse that we quote so often. And it says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose for them. And we know that God causes all things, everything, to work together for the good of those who love him. And they're called according to his purpose. God has a plan. God has a purpose for this universe. And somewhere in it, you and I fit. You know, I think there's a, a problem. We, we get into a relationship with God and we think everything centers on me. The wisdom of Rick Warren is the first line of that book. What's it say? Not about you. It's not about you. God has a plan. God has a purpose. And somewhere... There's a place for me to fit in that plan. There's a calling on my life. And I need to discern that. And I need to, once I discern it, walk in it. And suddenly life has meaning because life has purpose. Because there's a direction to it. There's a sense of this is what God is trying to do in my life. And as I yield to that, and the Spirit of the Lord inside of me is coaching me and moving me and praying through me, and God's going to take everything that happens in my life, including the garbage that Satan dumps my way, and he's going to turn it and twist it and tweak it and make it into something that works for my benefit, something that's good for me. Does this make sense? There's a story in the Old Testament of Joseph and his brothers. And God spoke to Joseph when he was a young man in, in dreams, two different dreams. And in both dreams, he was basically told that he was going to become the rescuer of his family, the savior of his family, if, if you would but that his family would honor him for it. And, and he told the dream to his parents, and he told the dream to his brothers. And it's probably a mistake sometimes to share, share those most precious things that God tells you. Because they mocked him, and they began to hate him for it. And his brothers, one day far away from home, captured him, were thinking of killing him. They were so jealous. Instead, they sold him as a slave. And he ends up living in Egypt. And, 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 and things go from bad to worse in Egypt. First, he's a slave. He's doing well as a slave. His master's wife tries to seduce him. He won't be seduced. She cries rape. Now he's in prison. He spends more than a decade in prison. And then some people come down to the prison and they have these dreams and he interprets the dreams. And he says, when you get out of jail here, go remind Pharaoh that I was unjustly accused. And, 
and they forget about him. And he's left in prison longer to rot. And one day the king has some dreams and he goes to all his magicians and soothsayers and they have no answers for him. And Joseph is able to tell the king what he dreamed and to tell him the meaning of the dreams. And in one day, Joseph goes from being in a dungeon to being the number two person in Egypt. He's running the country, the economy. Years later, his brothers come because there's a drought and there's a famine in their land. They want food and they come looking for help. And, and Joseph, it's, you should read the story. It's really interesting. I'm going to fast forward. He, he, he takes care of them. Eventually, he shows them who he is. They're terrified. They think now he's going to kill us. He's got power. We did him dirt. He's going to kill us. And he turns around and he says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You know, there's this business that some of us do when something goes wrong and we utter four-letter words. Something bad happens, the first word out of your mouth is, oh, shh. And it wasn't shucks. You know what I'm talking about. But you ought to replace that one with the F word. Fertilizer. <laughs> Satan dumps raw sewage your way. Then step back and watch God turn it into fertilizer. And let something good come growing out of what he's done in your life. That makes sense? I had a lady come to me after church on Friday night. She's new in our congregation, probably been here f maybe four months. Very serious about the Lord. Very excited about the church, what we're doing. No idea that she's wearing this burden. And, and she's wearing two burdens. She's wearing one that there's no escaping it. She's wearing another one that she ought not to have to wear. And it's a misunderstanding. And I just want to, I want to, I want to use this as a way of clarifying. She came to me and she said, Pastor, I, and, and she used the word, I hate to burden you. I hate to load you down with this. But I have to ask you this question. And I go, what? She says, well, the scripture says, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I love him. And I'm trying to walk out his purpose. But what good can come out of my four-and-a-half-year-old daughter being murdered five years ago by her father. And, you know, you're at an absolute loss for words. What do you say? What do you say? And then she went on, and, and, and she began to fill in the blanks. And she said, you know, I'm trying so desperately to make something good come out of the death of my daughter. I'm praying that someone will come to know the Lord because my daughter died. And I said to her, that's, that's wrong. You don't need to do that. See, because she's wearing this thing. What happened, happened, and it'll never, ever leave the heart of a mother that loved a child. Never. But it's an absolutely senseless, hideous, meaningless act that someone took the life of her child, particularly her husband would do so. He's in jail, thank God. And to have to wear a burden of somehow we've got to make something good out of something evil. That's not what this is saying. This is saying God will do something good out of the evil even that Satan brings us. Out of mostly the good in our lives. And mostly the decisions we make. But the time that Satan whacks you one 
and it's absolutely an indefensible act, God will still use even that. But you see the difference? I don't think God needs to use that act to make somebody come to Jesus to make it worthwhile. Because it'll never be worthwhile. It's not supposed to be worthwhile. That little girl should be alive and running around in that children's church today. It'll never be worthwhile. The only good that can come is good that's going to come up out of the life of this mother as she continues to grow in the Lord and begins to find, even in that conversation we had, grace and freedom. And that what will she accomplish in the, in the rest of her life? Because Satan took a whack at her. And now God will take even the pain and weave it into her life, and her life will become something. God will make it more significant, her life, because of her openness to him and her willingness to walk in his call. Am I making sense here? So God's going to turn the sewage into fertilizer. All we need to do is have a willingness to walk in his call and to, to walk out his purposes in our life and to, to live out the things that God wants to do in our hearts and in our minds. And, and as you begin to then take the knowledge of what we've just talked about here, the fact that the Holy Spirit inside of you is going to pray to God on your behalf, that God wants to respond and God wants to turn things out for good for you, you begin to wear that like a helmet. And Satan comes along to defeat you, to discourage you, to depress you. And there's God's grace for you. And folks, this is not positive thinking. Positive thinking says, say nice things and something good will happen to you. We're talking about the crisis of humanity here. We're talking about the death of the Son of God on a cross. The cruel death on a cross. That is not positive thinking. This is all rooted in the fact that God sent his son on a mission to cancel our rebellion and our guilt against God by his suffering, his sorrow, and his death for us. This is faith. It's not positive thinking. God is at work in my life, and I respond to him, and something happens. Am I making headway? Well, let's go a little bit further. It says... In verse 29, God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn with many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him and he gave them right standing with himself and he promised them his glory. There's a process that God knew us in advance. I don't even understand this. The scripture says that God foreknew us. It's a, like we know history, God knows the future. And somehow it's intimating that God knew whether or not you would respond to him. And those who he knew would respond, he called. And those he called, he made right with himself. And those he made right with himself, it says he glorified. What's that mean? He begins to bring his glory and his power and his grace into their lives. And their lives begin to count for something. Wear that as a helmet. Your life has significance because of the presence of the Lord in your life. Your life will have significance because God is there to hear and answer your prayers. When life deals you dirt, keep standing. Remember, this is all about spiritual warfare. Stand firm. Put the helmet on and stand firm. Don't let Satan play mind games on you. Fight back. All things are going to turn out well for you because of Jesus Christ. Say this with me. All things are going to turn out 
right for me because of Jesus Christ. And turn to the person next to you and say that. Now let me ask you a question. Doesn't that feel a little weird to say that? Because we're so used to going, oh, my life is a total wreck. <laughs> Nothing ever good happens to me. Oh, I knew that was going to happen. It's typical. See, we need to learn to declare the truth of God's word. We need to learn to say it. We need to, you know, I, I get up this morning, in the morning, every day I do this. I used to do it a long time ago. I used to sing a song that we, I'd never sing it out loud for you because you'd all leave the church. Uh, but I used to sing this song and it comes from the Psalms and it says, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I had my little anxiety attack two years ago about sunk my boat. But God caused it to work out for good. There's a whole bunch of you that come to me almost every week. Ten people will come and say, you know, you've changed. You're different. You preach different. Something's happened to you. Well, I'll tell you what it is, is, is the devil knocked me flat on my rear. And the Lord picked me up and made a new person out of me. But one of the things that I've learned to do is face the day differently by declaring the glory of the Lord. I get up in the morning and I make my side of the bed. And I just say out loud, this is a day that the Lord has made. I choose to rejoice in this day. I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to live out his call in my life. I'm not going to let whatever problems that I face today swamp me. I'm going to win. I'm going to win because of Jesus Christ. My life is going to turn out well because of Jesus Christ. I'm going to finish the course. I'm going to end well. Because of Jesus Christ. Can you say that? I mean, if you believe it, you ought to say it. Because when Satan comes and starts to pop stuff in your brain, the best way to, to nullify it, to get rid of it, is to say something back to him that's truth, that defeats him. There's a scripture in Philippians chapter 1, I think it's verse 20-something. Carl preached it a few weeks ago. And then I came back and kind of underlined it. And it says, that in no way be intimidated by your enemy. It's talking about the devil. Which is a sign to your, and it, it actually is spiritual warfare, your enemies. Which is a sign to them of their defeat and your victory. When Satan comes to intimidate you, declare the word of the Lord. Declare the truth of scripture. You may not have it down memorized, but you know the gist of it. Say it. Say it out loud and stand on it. Am I making sense? Well, let's look at the last little bit and we'll go home. Look at verse 31. question I put up on the screen is, what do you say to your adversary? What do you say to the devil? Well, here's what you say. What can we say? It's the question. What can we say about such wonderful things as these? Well, here's what we can say. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? What can I say to my adversary? Well, if God's on my side, you can't stand against me. He goes on and says... That since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't God, who gave us Christ, also give us everything else? If God gave us Jesus, isn't he going to give us everything else? If, if, if God gave us Jesus and I need a car, isn't he going to supply? 
If God sent his son to die on a cross for my sin and my rebellion, and I need a job, well, a job is nothing. I need love in my life. He can do that. I get into problem, confrontation, struggle with a friend, and I want peace. Can't he do peace? God can do anything. If God is for you, who can stand against you? You know, I have this indelible impression in my mind about this scripture. This scripture always turns on this little thing. And I, I know I've told this story before. I'm going to tell it again. And again. <laughs> my wife is always harping on me about, you've got to quit telling the same stories over and over again. You know what I read in a book once? Repetition is the best teacher. When I was 14 years old, I was this tall. I weighed 115 pounds when I went to Benson Polytechnic High School wearing this goofy little jacket my mother bought me. Today I weigh, this morning, 188 pounds. I, I weigh 50% more than I did when I went to high school. I was a beanpole. And you know what? If you blew on me, I'd fall over. I was a scrawny, runny little kid. And then things changed. That first day in school, the first class, homeroom class, was an English class. And there's this kid that sat next to me in the desk right next to me. And, and later on, they took us out. And they, we had to go stand at our locker. They assigned us lockers. And you had to share lockers. And a kid sat next to me in English was my locker partner. And for four years of high school, we would be locker partners. His name was Bill Coleman. And I weighed 115 pounds and he weighed 265 pounds and he was six foot three and a half. And before the school year was over, he was he he was he made all state varsity as a defensive tackle. Varsity. He was beating up on, on seniors, twelfth graders, guys that were eighteen years old, and he was fourteen. In the middle of that year, wrestling season came on. Wrestling is very big in Oregon. It's a it's a monster issue in, in the high schools in Oregon. And my friend Bill, just in a flash, was, was, was heavyweight, varsity, wrestling. He, he was undefeated for four years in high school. He was state heavyweight champion when he was now 15 years old. Beating up on 18-year-old guys, 19-year-old guys. Day two of Benson Polytechnic High School in 1959, you don't mess with me. <laughs> because you mess with me, you get Bill. And throughout my high school career, there were two or three people who found that out. And the really cool thing is that when we were 12th graders, just before graduation, we were working at the same place. And the, the honest truth is, we'd play hooky. We, we were both good students, and we could sort of get away with it. And, and we'd go into the office and call our moms and say we were sick and we were coming home. And, and we'd go out in the phone booth in the hall and say, oh, I feel better now. I don't think I'm coming home. And then... We'd go to work and clock in early and get extra bucks. And one of those days, we, we, we would walk to work, which is about two miles away. But it was, if you've been to Portland, we would walk across the Burnside Bridge and, and go to what, what is now the, I forget even the name of it, the, the really hip place to live in town is where we worked. And one of those days we were walking there and I led him to the Lord. And that's really cool. But the point of this scripture is, that you and God 
are an enemy that nothing can stand against. Bill and I were unbeatable. <laughs> you and God are unbeatable. If God is for you, who can stand against you? If God is for you, no one can stand against you. If he gave his son for you to, to, to die on that cross in your place, then wouldn't he give you whatever you need this week right now? If God is for you, it's going to turn out well. Well, coming all the way back to the beginning, we're told to wear our salvation. The word salvation means rescue. God has rescued us from the fires of hell. He'll rescue us from our problems. He'll rescue us from our enemies that want to stand against us. Wear salvation as a helmet. Don't leave it sitting on the shelf to look at, to polish once in a while, to remember it's there as a trophy. Put it on and wear it. Let God protect your mind in those times of defeat, discouragement, temptation, whatever it is that wants to attack you. You can win if you'll stand firm. Put the helmet on. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you this morning, and this is a very powerful passage of Scripture. And my prayer as a pastor is that we would be nurtured for having read it together. Lord, that this would be a time of us feeding spiritually on your word, and that you would strengthen us and that you would empower us. Lord, that we would declare this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice in it. I will not be defeated by my enemy. If God is for me, no one can stand against me. My God will make all things work together for good because I love him. I'm called according to his purpose. That I can expect that the glory that's going to be revealed in me one day absolutely outweighs the struggles and the stresses of this life. I am saved. I am rescued. I will be saved. I will be rescued. I will turn out a victor. If God be for us, who can be against us? Lord, help us to learn, to stand, to take what we learn of the scripture and not compartmentalize, not leave it in our little Sunday box, but to integrate it into our life and to activate it and to carry it with us. Lord, give us the strength and, the, and just the, the mental wherewithal this week when a crisis occurs to sort of reach into our spiritual toolbox and pull out our helmet of salvation and put it on and wear it and stand against the enemy and the things that he wants to do. Give us your victory in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Keep your eyes closed for a moment. We're going to pray again. It's a prayer that just says, God, I'm alone without you. If I died today, I have no idea whether I'd go to heaven or not. When crisis comes into my life, I cannot say that if God is for me, who will be against me? Because I'm not sure you're for me. But I want to know that. And so I want to invite you into my life to become the leader, the Lord, the director of my show. And if you would like to pray a prayer to invite the Lord into your heart, to your life, I want to lead you in such a prayer. And the way we'll do it is what we just did. I prayed out loud and everybody else prayed silently. You'll do that. But if you're going to pray with me, I want to know that we're praying together. And I want you to signal me that we're praying together 
just by looking at me. Everybody else has their eyes closed. We're going to pray in about 40 seconds. Between now and then, if you're praying with me, I want you just to look up at me. Tell me that we're praying together. Okay, I see one lady looking at me. Who else? You want to invite the Lord into your life. Let's pray. God, I invite you into my heart right now. I want to know you. I want to know your peace. I want to know your love. I want to know everything that you have that will make my life into a joy and a success and into something worth living. God, I understand that you sent your son to take our punishment so that we could be forgiven for our rebellion against you. And, and Lord, I ask you today to make that, to activate that in my life that your forgiveness would be my forgiveness and that you would walk with me and that you would lead me and that I could say confidently, if God is for me, who can be against me? Lord, come and fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your love. Lead me and guide me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You've been listening to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel, Kaneohe. 